Today, I, I started last Sunday. In fact, I talked about evangelism last Sunday. And I, we talked about the need and we talked about the urgency and all of those things. This morning, I want to talk to you about the motivation for evangelism. What is the proper motivation? What should motivate us? What should drive us in the area of evangelism? Uh, last uh, Sunday, I read to you the Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28 and also from Mark 16. And I want to just uh, recapture just verse 15 from Mark 16, one little short verse, because it, it, uh, it has the word that is the, is the word, the driving word for evangelism. And here's what it says. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Anybody have any idea who all God wants to hear the gospel? Everybody. Everybody. That's the heart of God for everybody. And, and the, the operative word is go. Go is the first word in gospel. Go is two-thirds of God. Go, 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 go. You'll hear it over and over and over again. It is the operative word of evangelism, as I said. I want you to get it. So turn to your neighbor and say, go. go. <laughs> God has called us to go, not to stay. You know, we used to sing an old uh, song years ago, and, and uh, taken in proper context, it's, uh, it's a powerful song. It says, standing on the promises of God. That's good if you're talking about standing in faith and so forth. But some people in the church have taken the standing to mean that we're supposed to just stand and stand. In fact, there was another song in olden days, hold the fort for I am coming. And you get the idea that the church is supposed to be standing and just kind of holding the fort. We're just barely hanging on praying, oh, Jesus, please come. And everybody in heaven's looking down and say, oh, church, please go. <laughs> and, and we're, we're trying, we're, listen, the church is not supposed to be holding the fort for the Lord's coming. The church is supposed to be charging the gates of hell and they shall not prevail against us. That's, that's the promise of God. But today I want to talk to you, as I said, about the motivation, the proper motivation for that. Um, first of all, just sort of start it and give you an idea. There's a lot of unscriptural methods of uh, motivation in the church. And, and I'll, I'll just look at a couple, but unscriptural motivations that some people use to, uh, to, to try to motivate the church. One of them is guilt. I grew up in that kind of atmosphere where... We pray. I remember when I was just a little boy, I went to work with my daddy one time and, and uh, somebody, I was telling about our church. I was on fire when I was just a little kid and I was inviting this guy, this contractor to come to our church. And he said, well, where is your church? And I told him about our church. And then he said, well, what do y'all believe? And I said, well, we don't go to shows. We don't drink. We don't smoke. We don't. I gave him a whole, man, I had more don'ts than the 10 commandments. And that's all I knew that our church stood for, all those things that we don't do. And, and they, sometimes they used guilt on us. Boy, they, those preachers would preach. Boy, and you'd go out of there feeling so guilty. You felt like you was going to hell if you didn't do what he told you to or if you fell a little bit short or something. And, and let's face it, folks. When we start talking about evangelism, it's real easy to put guilt trips on everybody or on a lot of people because we're not all gifted in the same way and that's good in the body of Christ so so let me just say right up front I mentioned a while ago Pastor Roger has the gift of evangelism everybody doesn't have the gift of evangelism I don't have the gift of evangelism 
I, I, can, I, can go, I can go eat lunch with Pastor Roger and he'll get three people saved before I can order my meal. <laughs> and it didn't even occur to me that they were lost. You know, I don't have that gift. Now, if they need some pastoral care, then, then I'm right there. I can sympathize with their need. I can pray for them for their healing. I can pray for them for their needs. I, I can I work on discipling them and everything. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that I don't have any responsibility to the Great Commission. I do. But I don't need to feel guilty because I can't do it like somebody else. And sometimes we try to put, put everybody in the body of Christ into one mold and we say, boy, here's the method. Learn this. You learn the Roman road and, and, and you buttonhole everybody you meet with a Roman road. Well, um, you know, again, some people just, they're different. When I, when, I was, when I was in Bible college, they used to send us out door to door evangelizing. And um, I never was very good at that. Uh, but I, I had a friend at school uh, his name was Ted G. Ted G. Could he was kind of like Pastor Roger. He just had that gift of evangelism, and and he could he could just I, I don't he amazed me. He walked up to a door one time and just knocked on the door and they came to the door. And he said, "You you know you're going straight to hell." Turned around, and walked off. They chased him down on the sidewalk <laughs> and got saved. If I had done that, they'd have punched me in the mouth. So we don't all have the same gifting. And, and I'm just telling you, it's unscriptural to try to use a guilt trip on people. That's not the way the Holy Spirit works anyway. The Holy Spirit will help you to move forward with the Great Commission. And he'll give you ideas that will fit your personality and that will, that will work with you and that will be comfortable with you if you'll let him. Now, some of us make the mistake sometimes of just not asking the Lord about it. You're missing a great opportunity if you don't ask the Lord what you're gifting. I mentioned last Sunday about Ann Kemble who, who uh, just asked the Lord, said, Lord, I, I'm just not good at this thing of evangelism. Give me some ideas. And the Lord said, you love to bake, don't you? And she said, yes. He said, everybody brags on your chocolate chip cookies, don't they? And she said, yes. He said, well, why don't you just take chocolate chip cookies to new people that move in your apartment complex? And she started doing that. She'd just knock on the door, and they'd come to the door and say, I just want to welcome you to the neighborhood. Here's some fresh baked cookies. Boy, you could smell them, you know. And said, I just want to give them to you in the name of Jesus. And sometimes she'd even sing a little, a little chorus of a, a little song from church. And, and she got person after person and family after family in her apartment complex saved because God gave her that. They would ask her, where did this joy come from that you have? So we, we need to understand that we're not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. Just, just get over that, okay? But we do want you to pray and ask the Lord for ideas to help you. Second, second way that some people use, and that's hype. Have you ever been in a situation where things, boy, they get hyped up. Now, I'm not against getting people excited. In fact, if somebody can get you more excited than I can, praise God, go for it. I, I think the body of Christ ought to be excited people, made up of excited people. We got something to be excited about. Amen. That's good. But we had an evangelist here a few years ago, many of you remember, and we got so hyped up about witnessing until everybody in the church was out there just buttonholing everybody, and we'd come back at night, and boy, we'd have all these stacks of cards that we'd filled out and everything, and, they, and, and they, they, the evangelist would take those cards, and sometimes he'd just throw them up, and it'd just rain cards all over the place, you know, and we'd just celebrate and everything. That, that was good. The problem with hype is 
that it wears off. You know, a few weeks after the revival was over, everybody started kind of slowing down and kind of back to normal, and, and here we were. So I don't, I don't think hype, well, not only do I not think, I know that it's not the scriptural plan to motivate us to evangelize. So where are we going to go for an example? I think we should look to Jesus as our example, don't you? In fact, I base that off of 1 Peter 2.21. Look what the scripture says. For, for, for to this you are called because Christ also suffered for us. Look at this next little phrase. Leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. If you want to know what to do and how to do, go to the four gospels and look at how Jesus did things and what motivated him. And he's the best example you can possibly get. He's better than any man you can follow. Pastor Larry Stockstill loves to tell the story. I've heard him tell it several times about back in his Bible school days. He said there's an evangelist that everybody, all the young preachers just admired and everybody wanted to be like him. And he was just a powerful, dynamic guy and he had long hair. And when he'd be preaching, he'd, he'd, he'd get to preaching. He'd sling his head back and his hair, you know, flap back around. And, and so all, all the young preachers in Bible college, they, when they get to preaching, they go, it slinged their hair back. And, and Pastor Stocksville said that one guy was, was bald-headed, and, and he, he, would, he would sling his head back too. And that's, listen, don't follow man's example. Follow the example of Jesus. He's the best one to follow, okay? So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you from the Scripture what motivated Jesus to do the work of evangelism and, in fact, his entire ministry while he was here on this earth. I'm going to give you several from the book of Matthew. Starting in chapter 9, verse 20, or 35, I'm going to read all the way to 38. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like, have, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. I used that last verse last Sunday to remind you that the harvest is already white. If you're waiting on opportunity, you're, you're late. The opportunities are already there. They're all around us. The opportunity. The fields are white unto harvest. And, and we just need to be about our Father's business. Matthew 14, 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Matthew 15, 32. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself, and he said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they should faint by the way. Now, you know the story that what occurred after that. Uh, Jesus had compassion on that multitude. And, of course, he multiplied the loaves and fishes and fed 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. Perhaps up to 20,000 people Jesus fed because he was moved with compassion. Look at chapter 20, verse 34. And Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. The motivation behind the ministry of Jesus was compassion. Amen. 
I just read to you from Matthew. I could go on. There are at least eight more scriptures in the Gospels that say the same thing. Jesus was moved with compassion. Compassion was the driving force behind the ministry of the Lord Jesus. So, have you got that? It was compassion. Say it with me, compassion. Compassion. That was the motivating force behind the ministry of Jesus. Now, let's define compassion. What is it? I've looked at it in numerous dictionaries. I've looked at it in English dictionaries, Greek dictionaries. I've looked at it in theological dictionaries, uh, uh, sectoral dictionaries. And, and I've come up with my own little definition, which is a capsule, one little statement that I think summarizes everything that I've learned about what compassion is, and it's this. Compassion defined as simply a feeling for the needs of others. A feeling for the needs of others. That this is not mere pity for others. This is more than just sympathy for others. It's when you can literally feel the need of others. Look what the writer of Hebrews says about our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are and yet without sin. Let me tell you this about the Lord Jesus. You have this morning right now at the right hand of the Father, a high priest, an intercessor, pleading your case when you pray before God the Father on your behalf. And the reason he does it and the thing that drives him to do that for you is because he can feel your need. One of the main reasons, besides, of course, giving his life for a sacrifice, but, but one of the main reasons that Jesus left the jeweled throne of glory and became incarnate in human flesh and lived among us is so that he could feel what we feel. He knows what the writer of Hebrews said, when you're tempted, take heart. Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. And you can take that to any level of need that you might have. Whatever you, if you're suffering this morning, Jesus knows what that feels like. Jesus suffered. If, you're, if you feel rejection this morning, you, Jesus knows what that feels like. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. If you're grieving this morning, he knows what that feels like. He's gone through grief. You say, but, but what about sickness? Well, he took all of our sickness upon himself in his body when he suffered for it. He knows what you feel like. And when you come to him with a need, when you cast your care upon the Lord, when you come boldly before the throne of grace and make your petitions known to God, you're speaking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the high priest and intercessor before God the Father, and he feels what you feel. I don't know what you're struggling with this morning, but I can promise you one thing. Whatever it is, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're fighting, whatever battle you're fighting, whatever temptation you're dealing with, whatever you're going through right now, Jesus feels that. Glory to God. Somebody ought to be happy about that. Thank the Lord. Glory to God. He feels that. So, he responds because of that driving feeling inside of him for others. And that's what we should have in the body of Christ. 
that beats guilt and condemnation. That even beats hype and, 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 and hoopla, all the pieces. When you can feel inside, you stop long enough to see the need of somebody else and identify with it and care about it. Let, let me give you some additional examples of, uh, I've given you Jesus, who, who's moved with compassion. Here, here's a couple more. Let's go way back to the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid over to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Do you see, do you see what I, you, you know that story. This is the story of Moses when it, Pharaoh, this, this young girl's de, uh, father had given an edict in Egypt that all male Hebrew babies, boys had to be killed, they had to be killed. And, and, but when Moses was born, his mother and dad saw that it was a proper child and the, they, they tried to conceal him and were successful for a while, but they realized that, that they couldn't keep going this route and they had to do something. And they came up with the idea to make this little ark and they, they, they put pitch in, in, outside of it to try to make it waterproof. And, and they took it out to the Nile river and, and placed the, the baby there in the river and right at the area where Pharaoh's daughter often, she frequented that area, area often. And sure enough, that next morning she came to bathe at that site in the river and she saw that little ark and she had him to bring it to her. When she opened it, she saw that little baby. And when he cried, her heart was touched and she was moved with compassion and, and defied the edict of her father and allowed this Hebrew boy to live. Little did she know when she had compassion on that baby that she was about to change history. You never know when you reach out to touch the need of somebody else what the effect of that may be. Wow. Moses is the guy that led the Hebrews out of Egyptian bondage. He's the one that led Israel across the Red Sea and across the wilderness and all the way up to the promised land. God's mighty man saved because a woman had compassion on a child. She felt the hurt of that little, the loneliness, the rejection of that little baby boy and said, I, I can't let that go on. And she did something about it and changed the course of history. You never know. You never know. You never know. Can you imagine when we get to the judgment of rewards, some, 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 I, I got a feeling that the Lord's going to call some name that we never heard of and, and they're going to come to the head of the line when they're giving out rewards and God's going to say, you know, when, when, when the Holy Spirit prompted you to, to take a moment and just share the gospel and witness and be a blessing and take some interest in a little young kid named Reinhard Bonnke. Little did you know that millions, literally millions, were going to come to Jesus as a result of his ministry. Folks, you, you never know. You never know when the Lord opens. I call it an opportunity. Don't witness because you feel obligated. Don't witness because you feel guilty if you don't. Witness because you realize you've got the greatest opportunity in all the world to share the greatest gospel message that there is in the world that can impact history. 
Take advantage of those, of those opportunities. Here's another example. You're familiar with this one. So I'll just read the story to you. It's called The Good Samaritan out of the book of Luke chapter 10, beginning of verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, the Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, look at this, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him that fell among thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy. Then Jesus said, here's that word again, go and do likewise. Do you see it? We, we ought to go do. Now, I've preached on this before, so I won't take much time, but I'll just remind you of the different philosophies that are apparent here. There's the philosophy of the thieves. What's yours is mine, and I'll take it. That's the, that's the philosophy they live by. You know anybody like that? What's yours is mine, and I'll take it. We, we got a bunch of people in Washington that we need to send home that have that very philosophy right there. What's yours is mine, and I'll take it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get into politics. Y'all forgive me for that. Uh, let, let's get back to the word, okay? The, the philosophy of the priest and the Levite was what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. But the philosophy of the good Samaritan was what's mine is yours and I'll share it. Think about this for a moment. The priest and the Levite, I want to compare those two with the good Samaritan. We, we kind of glamorize it in our day because it's a beautiful story and, and it reads so beautifully in the New Testament. But, but there's a glaring difference in the priest and the Levite and in the Good Samaritan. First of all, the priest and the Levite were full-time employed at the temple of God. They were in the ministry. The priest that passed him by, he's the guy that dealt with the, with, with the, with the sacrifices. He was the minister. He was the, he was the pastor over at the, over at the temple, full-time in the ministry. And that was a powerful position in those days. He had power. He had prestige. He had money. He had, he had dignity. He had, he, had, uh, he had the affirmation of the people. He was a big wheel. And the Levites, the Levitical tribes, the one that carried out all of the, and they, they were the ones that took care of the property and the grounds and everything and, the, and getting ready for the sacrifices. They're, they're the one that the Levitical tribe, the Levite. The priest just walked by on the other side. The Levite did walk across and take a look, and then he went back to the other side and went on too. Both of these guys basically said to a man that's laying there who was beaten, the Bible said he's half dead. And they both looked at him, and, and basically they said, you got your problems, I got mine, and um, I'll go on. You'll be dead before morning anyway. No use me fooling with you. And they just left him laying there. 
Now, the Good Samaritan, like I said, that sounds, it sounds really neat, the Good Samaritan. We think of him as, as a guy we'd really like to have at church this morning, but they wouldn't have liked to have him in church in, in, in the temple in Jerusalem because the Samaritans were basically despised. There was prejudice against them. They were rejected by the Jews. They looked down on them. They looked down on them. Sometimes the, Hebrew, uh, the, the uh, priest and the Levites in those days, sometimes they would pray and say, I thank you, God, that you have made me not a Samaritan. That, you know, that's, that was their attitude. They looked down on these people. This guy did not have wealth. He was probably just a hard working, just working all, you know, just making a living, eking out a living for his family. So when he took money out to give, it wasn't because he was a wealthy guy. This, this was a Samaritan that, that, was, that was traveling that way and saw the guy, but he had compassion on him, and his compassion drove him to do what a priest and a Levite with all of their religion and position didn't have to do. So what I'm telling you this morning, religion won't drive you to do the Great Commission. It's got to be something else. The good Samaritan had what the priest and Levite didn't have. They had what he didn't have. But when Jesus presents it, how many of you would rather have what the good Samaritan had than to have what the priest and Levite had? Yeah, sure we would. Amen. Yes, absolutely. 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 Praise God. He was motivated by compassion. I submit to you today that Perhaps the Good Samaritan saved more than one person that day. He saved that guy that was dying by the wayside. But I think perhaps he saved himself as well. Let, let me give you a third and final example here, and, and, and I'll come to a close. There's a guy named Sinar Sundar Singh many years ago that was crossing the Himalayas. He had a traveling companion with him. And as they were going across the, the, the mountains, and they, these mountains are huge, and the journey was long and, and somewhat treacherous, and something happened that's not all that terribly unusual, but they weren't expecting it, but, but it happened. A sudden storm came, and it came in the form of a blizzard. I mean, they were high up in the mountains, so it started to snow, and it was that kind of snow where you can see it blowing sideways. And... And I mean, it was coming down really heavy. It was coming down so much that in the matter of a couple of hours, there were several feet of snow and, and, and the snow was getting deeper and deeper. And they were, they were trudging, fighting this fierce wind, just trying to, trying to make it across and down the other side and, and getting the lower elevation so they could get some better weather. And as they were traveling, they came up, they turned a corner and in their path lay a man in the snow, unconscious, laying there literally freezing to death. And Sundar Singh said, we got to do something. And the traveling companion with Sundar said, you can't do that. If, if you, we, we got to keep moving. Get, forget about that guy. He, he's not going to make it anyways. He's unconscious. He doesn't know anything. He will, he, he, there's nothing we can do. If, in fact, if we don't go, we're going to lose our own lives. We've got to keep moving. And Sundar said, I can't leave this man. And the guy said, if you, if you fool with that guy, it's going to cost you your life. We got to keep moving. Sundar said, I can't leave him. 
And so he said, well, you do what you must, but I'm going to save my life. And he went on. And Sundar got down in the snow, brushed the snow off of this guy, and managed to get down under him and managed to get him up over his back and get him situated the weight far enough forward that he could balance him and with his almost frozen arms around his neck, Sundar Singh started walking with this guy on his back. And he, as I said, it was treacherous and it was hard. And the, the further he walked and the, the, the harder and more difficult it became and the more he perspired, the energy that he was exerting caused his body heat to rise. And and, and he kept struggling with this guy and struggling with this guy. And, and, and the more body heat that he put off, it began to warm that frozen guy until finally he regained consciousness. And, and after a couple of hours, the man was able to stand up on his own. And, and then he and Sundar were able to lock arms and continue the journey on. And after several hours, they came across Sundar's former traveling companion frozen in the snow dead Sundar's traveling companion chose to save his life and in saving his life he lost it Sundar chose to save a man's life even if he lost his own and in losing his life he saved it doesn't that sound a bit familiar? Didn't Jesus say to his disciples, he that cometh after me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me? Didn't Jesus go on to say, for he that saves his life will lose it, but he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Can I tell you this morning, folks, it costs to care. It costs to care, but it costs more not to care. I'm not going to elaborate on this because of time. I'm just going to read this passage to you, and I'm going to read it to you from the message from Matthew chapter 25. Listen to this. When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all the angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on the glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter you who are blessed of my Father. Take what's coming to you in his kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation, and here's why. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison. You came to me. Then those sheep are going to say to him, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Then he'll turn to the goats on his left side and he'll say, get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meat. 
I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and you didn't go, you gave me no bread. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes, sick and in prison and you never visited. Then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison? Didn't help. He'll answer them, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. Then those goats will be herded into eternal doom, but the sheep into eternal reward. Can I say this again? It costs to care. It really does. It costs to care. But it costs more not to care. We were were talking last night or the night before last, I don't remember which, but Brian and Brad and myself, and and I think it was probably Brian that, that gave the recent statistics that Christian people in America, what is it? It's 3%, 5%, what is it? 3%. 3% of the income of Americans go for the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means that in America, we take 97% of all that we have for ourselves, for our lives, and only 3% to propagate the cause of Jesus Christ. Folks, when we stand before God, (laughs) we're going to leave that 97% behind. Do you you realize that? You you do know that, don't you? You, You're going to leave that 97% behind. The only only thing that's going to do you any good, what you get out of life here, is that percentage that you send on to the other side, that you give for for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that 3%, that's the only thing. When, when we get before the judgment bar of God, nobody's going to say, hey, what kind of car did you drive? What kind of house did you live in? How many bedrooms did you have? What, uh, what kind of nice restaurants did you eat at? No one's going to ask that. In, instead, it will be, so, how many did you feed? How many did you help? How many did you reach out to? Who did you care for? We, We need to be moved with compassion. Now, this may surprise you, but compassion is a choice. It's kind of like love. I I know in America, in in our Western culture, we think, you you say, preacher, you you just don't understand. I fell in love with my wife. Yeah, I'm glad you did. But if you've been married any length of time at all, there has come a time in your life when you still loved your wife by choice. It wasn't what you fell into. It's because you chose to say, I said I do, and I said until death we do part, and I'm going to if, if no matter what. Amen? <laughs> And if you don't, you won't make it. I'm, I'm just being honest with you folks. That, that's just the way to, because love is a choice. We make a choice. We make a decision. Now, now, hopefully those good feelings will come again, but there's, there's some times, you know. My wife says she's never considered divorce. She has thought about murder several times. <laughs> but, 
But I'm glad she convinced herself that she's supposed to love me, not murder me, you know. And, and, uh, and compassion is that way too. Let, let, me, let me show you from the scripture. Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourself with compassion. In other words, Paul said, put it on, just like you put on your clothes in the morning. Put on compassion. Make a conscious decision. I'm going to wear compassion today. I'm going to take time to stop and think and feel the needs of other people. We do that with kindness. We do that with humility. And we do that with gentleness. And we do that with patience. Here's what the Apostle Paul said when evaluating his life. 2 Corinthians 12, 15a, the first sentence in that verse says, so I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. You know what Paul said? He said, I've looked over, I've looked over the whole situation of this life. And he said, I've made up my mind. I, I'm just, I'm just going to give it all. I'm going to give it all. And I'm not only willing to give you everything that I've got for the cause of Christ, I'm willing to be spent myself. You can use me up. For the cause of Christ. You say, yeah, preacher, that's, a, that's, an, that's an, a great apostle. Yes, it was. And uh, I want to tell you, he, he's going to have a great reward when he gets to the other side. But you and I can increase our reward as well. Amen? Uh, I know people right now, they say, boy, the stock market's up. I need to be hitting more money into that 401K. That's, that's good. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about that. But I'm telling you, when you die, folks, you're going to leave that 401K behind. You really are. And, and, and keep, keep funding that. But don't forget about putting something into the gospel. Amen. Don't forget about putting something into the care of other people, helping to get this gospel to the four corners of the earth. And we, we need to just, we just need to, we're going we gonna to be thrilled someday that, that and, and I know I'm, I'm preaching to people who are caring people. We, wouldn't, we, we would not have a bridge ministry if you didn't care. We would not have mi missions work on five continents uh, in this world if you didn't care. We, we do care. We do care. But that needs to be the motivating, driving force behind us. We need to make up our mind and a clear-cut decision that we're going to care and we're going to care more and more and more as we see the day approaching and we're going to take advantage of every opportunity that we have before us to reach into our, to go where the needs are and minister to them in the name of Jesus. Will you stand with me, please? I want the prayer team and the praise team to come quickly, if you will. Give God praise. He's good. Amen. Thank the Lord. I'm going to ask you if you possibly can. I know you may have an emergency and need to leave, but if you possibly can stay with us till the end of the service, the ushers will be at the back door as you go out this morning to receive your tithe and offering. And uh, if the Holy Spirit speaks to you about increasing your mission given this morning, just uh, they'll, they'll receive that as well. <laughs> but uh, seriously, we want to go out on a great song of celebration in just a few moments. But right now, we want to take time to pray because there, there are needs here. Any staff members that are here, any group leaders, uh, come and help us this morning with a prayer team. And, and let's, let's pray. Uh, let's, the altar is open. Great things happen at the altar as we bring our needs to the Lord. He invites us to come because he really cares. I told you earlier, he cares about what you're dealing with today. So bring your care to him. 
especially if you're sick in body. Maybe you want somebody to join hands with you or lay hands on you and believe in the name of Jesus for your healing. We believe he still heals. Amen. If you're, if you have other needs, maybe they're financial, maybe they're relational, whatever they may be, bring them to the Lord today. And especially if you've never given your heart to Jesus, what a great opportunity you have in these next few minutes. We're going to take about five, 10 minutes at the most uh, to, to just come forward with these needs. And if you're unsaved, come and, come and give your life to Jesus. He'll write your name on the Lamb's book of life. He'll make a difference in your eternity today. If you're away from God, come home. Some of you may just want to come and pray today. You may want to come down and, and just find, maybe just by yourself, just a place where you can talk to God and say, Lord, give me those ideas. Lord, I, I'm not gifted like some people in, in the area of evangelism, but I want to be a good steward of the Great Commission. I want, to, I want to share the gospel of Jesus. Maybe I can make a difference in somebody's life. Would you just give me the idea? Holy Spirit, would you just, just come on, the altar's open. Those of you that would like to come forward. And, and while, while we're praying here, that they're going to lead us in, in some music. We're going to sing together. And you can be seated and sing if you'd like, if you're more comfortable with that, or if you want to remain standing and sing and worship or just pray right there where you are. But for the next few minutes, let's pray. And then we're going to come with a song of celebration and go out together on a high note with the Lord. God bless you as you pray.